Hey everyone, if you're around the Nashville area, Saturday, January 25th, Zach and I are doing a presentation as part of a drum day event at Lane Music in Brentwood. That's 1 p.m. Saturday, January 25th, 2020. The address is 1625 Galleria Boulevard. Zach and I are very honored to be a part of this drum day hosted by our friend Ben Hans. The day will feature a presentation by Jeff Brown. And lastly, the day will feature Jared Pope. And Jared will perform and give drum tips about playing many genres of music. All three of these people, Ben Hans, Jared, and Jeff, were all podcast alum, and we're just excited to be a part of this. So join us for Drum Day with Jared Pope, Jeff Brown, and the podcast Working Drummer, Saturday, January 25th at 1 p.m. at Lane Music in Brentwood. This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today I'm talking with New York-based soul, funk, and jazz drummer Eric Kalb. Over his career of 20-plus years, his combination of soul-inspired groove and pocket and jazz-inspired touch and improvisation have landed him touring and recording work with the likes of Charlie Hunter, the Greyboy All-Stars, John Schofield, Dr. Lonnie Smith, and most notably, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Eric has also just finished tracking for his debut album as a leader, an organ trio project called Southpaw. If you want to help support what we do here at Working Drummer Podcast, we invite you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive video content from our former guests. We're adding to it regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash working drummer. Also follow us on Facebook and Instagram and feel free to contact us on those platforms as well as through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So Eric has really carved a lane for himself on the New York scene and it was cool to hear how different gigs over the years have allowed him to emphasize the jazz side sometimes, the funk side other times, or just split the difference. So let's get into it with Eric Kalb. Was there a time in your career when road work was was dominating with these various artists that you were playing with? Well, yeah, I mean, I was I was um, the touring drummer for uh, a band called Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. Right, I've heard of them. Which, yeah, which is a pretty <laughs> popular band. Yeah, uh, um, a soul band from Brooklyn, and uh, Sharon Jones was the singer. Rest in peace. She yeah. passed away. A few years ago. Um, so I was their touring drummer. Um, it started like on and off uh, for about five years I did it. And then it just became like, hey, you want to do this? You want to do this? And then it was, it was some serious, heavy touring, basically, right, right. Over the, all over the world. Yeah. How long yeah. was your tenure in that band? Well, five years altogether. Okay. There was like a, like I first started playing. Oh, now I have to think. Uh, I was in the, with like, for like two years in like 2006 to like 2008. And then I came back to them in like 
2010. Okay. Yeah. It was funny because sometimes, you know, a lot of things don't cycle back around mm-hmm. as much as we'd like them to. Right. You know, it's like you do something and then that's it. And, you know, they're, they're like, they're relationships, you know, they're like, it's like having a, a girlfriend or, a, or, you know, you know, you, you, I mean, you could go back to your ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that's a good idea. But there's probably a reason you broke up. But no, so it was uh, it was a great situation. I really loved playing with that band. and Yeah. Um, it was like a perfect storm, basically. For me, stylistically, I had always wanted to play that old school R&B with the 60s aesthetic, you know. Right. And... and their level of touring and, and popularity was pretty high. So we played some really nice festivals and um, theaters yeah. all over Europe and, and the States. Europe kind of broke out a little bit uh, quicker than the States. Mm-hmm. Oddly enough, we're so, playing American music. but Right. <laughs> Right. It's, I mean, I've talked to so many drummers and musicians who, uh, you know, and I've experienced it myself, like the appreciation for American music is way higher in Europe than in a lot of parts of America. Um, yeah. Whether it's soul Definitely. or jazz or blues or, or any of that. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so, you know, you mentioned um, you had always wanted to do that style of music, that style of band. Like, had you not gotten the opportunity before Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings? Well, I had always been uh, playing R&B and soul music since I got out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, when, I, when I left, uh, I went to Berkeley College of Music um, a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I started, <clears throat> I hooked up a bass player uh, that I had known when I was at Berkeley named Dave Lavolsi. Um had called me to uh, check out this band that he was playing with in Connecticut called Tongue and Groove. Mm -hmm. And they had this amazing singer named Andrew Gromiller. And they were doing like all the James Brown stuff and Otis Redding and the meters and P-Funk. They were even doing the whole P-Funk bit. So that like kind of opened up a whole new world to me because I really did. It was kind of the missing link when I was at Berkeley, because at the time that I was there, it was either like you play jazz or you play rock right. and they weren't really like, te- they were like rock guys and they would see me playing jazz and they'd be like, ew, you know? <laughs> and then the jazz guys would see me hanging out with the rockers and they'd be like, ew. Right, <laughs> you know? right. So yeah. it's like the, the lines were kind of drawn and I always wanted to be like, uh, wh- where's this middle ground where I can have that jazz sensibility and dynamic, but also like rock out, you know? Right. And, and it's, it's so interesting that yeah. like, I've talked to a lot of uh, uh, Berkeley grads and former Berkeley students and um, they're, you know, they, they talk about that dynamic between, you know, the, the jazz players and the rock players. And when they talk about the middle ground, they talk about fusion. You know? Yeah. And what I'm realizing uh, is is that, you know, you what what you do, it represents the other middle ground between jazz and rock. And, uh, you know, in, in many ways, in all ways, pretty much it was that middle ground before fusion. 
Um, yeah, well, I mean, I like to go back to this point, and I still do, where like pre-fusion, you know, like before the 70s, like in the 60s, and this is why I, I, I kind of become obsessed with a lot of these styles that are, are in the 60s, um, where, you know, you had groups that were playing, they want, they, there were jazz guys that wanted to, you know, they wanted to gain popularity and mm-hmm. the popular music was a lot of R and B and soul music. Right. So that was like the first crossover before they called it fusion, where it would be jazz guys playing, uh, uh, uh their version of a, a CV wonder song or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it would take on a new life to it, a new dimension. Right. That type of music. So it was really open. You could express yourself within like a, uh, a different genre than just, you know, what the, what the jazz, um, aesthetic was. Right. And, and, or, or you could do the jazz aesthetic, you know? Yeah. And what's jumping to mind for me is like Grant Green and exactly. um, uh, like all the organ guys, uh, yeah. Jim, Jimmy Smith, like, right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I definitely become a little too obsessed with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's any such thing, man. It's so good. Like I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I went through the, once I discovered that it just, it hit me. Um, you know, when I was in Connecticut, there was a, a guy named Melvin Sparks, who was mm-hmm. a guitar player. And, um, I met him and this kind of like, triggered off this whole, you know, this whole, I mean, it was just <laughs> opened up this door to all this music that I had never really checked out. Right. You know? Right. Um, like you said, the Grant Green stuff, the, you know, the Jack McDuff and all that stuff, Jimmy Smith. So I started playing with him and it turns out he had played on a lot of the Lou Donaldson records and, yeah. and, he actually was uh, in Jack McDuff's band after uh, George Benson left. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I started doing a lot of gigs with him, and I really learned a lot about, you know, just how to – it's a slightly different uh, approach, you know, to play that kind of music. It's yeah. kind of a specific thing, really. Yeah, it definitely yeah. is because it's – like it, it feels like it's you know with the experience I've had with it, um, it's inside a pretty small box, but yeah, you have a lot of freedom within that box. It's not like you have a lot of freedom to just roam wherever, but but if you're in the box, like sound wise, groove wise, you know, yeah. there's um, it's almost like a little microcosm, like a micro universe. Once you get in there, there's all kinds of like, it seems small, but once you get in there, there's really a ton to explore in terms of improvisation, interaction, all that stuff. Yeah. Because it covers a lot of ground. It covers everything from James Brown to John Coltrane right. within, within that. And and so it's like, well, what else do I need? You know, it's like <laughs> I can, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got like these grooves and these guys are blowing amazing solos. So yeah, so it's, it's definitely, um, it's pretty satisfying music. So I was able to take that to like some pretty good, uh, next level stuff. I, I, w- I was able to actually tour with, uh, Dr. Lonnie Smith and Melvin Sparks. Yeah. Uh, 
um, over in Europe for a little bit. And, uh, that was definitely a, a highlight. Yeah. Um, just hanging out with those guys and, and touring around Europe and playing all these jazz clubs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about, uh, Lonnie Smith, just as a brief aside, like I'm, I'm obsessed with organ. I love playing yeah. with B3 organ. Um, yeah. and did it, did, did plan with, um, with Dr. Lonnie Smith or, or with organ in general, um, <clears throat> change your approach as a drummer? I didn't really change my approach. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe it did change my approach because playing with someone like, uh, you know, who's like a guy that was had a hand in creating that whole genre yeah. and style, it really makes you zero in on, all right, wait, I, I thought it was supposed to be like this, but it's actually like he would just just the little nuances, mm -hmm. you know of what you're supposed to be doing when, when you get with a guy like that, you know, mm. that's why it's always, I mean, as they say, great to, um, you know, play with these older cats that, that have been around, you know, when that music was created and it's getting harder and harder to do that now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've just got to be able to take it on to the next level, you know, and right. get, get what we can from, from, from those guys. And, uh, you know, advance it and uphold the uh, tradition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I'm thinking about, um, as far as organ goes, is that it's so, it's so deeply rooted in the church, um, right. in, in, you know, the, the whole gospel element, right. Yeah. The gospel vibe. And, um, you know, that like, especially in the church, that music is about a feeling. It's about a moment. It's about, you know, whether you want to call it the spirit moving you or whatever. And that yeah. with, with most of the organ players I've played with, um, whether they come from the, you know, the gospel church thing or not, that, um, that thing about being in the moment, it's about a feeling. It's about like, Oh, this, there's this vibe in this room right now. Let's, let's chase that. Like organ players are very uh, in tune with that, it seems, and and as the drummer, like you have to kind of um, hold it down a little bit, like go with them, but just kind of <laughs> hold it down yeah. so that they can follow that spirit. Definitely, and and you have to know when to just lay it down in the pocket, or like where there's a time where you can get more expressive. You right. Know? I mean, yeah. it's like that. I think it's like that for all music, though. Definitely. You know, most music definitely um but yeah like the organ players i've played with are are very much uh very much about the the moment and usually it's about something fun like it's <laughs> it's almost yeah. about making a joke sometimes you know i mean it's just this great energy yeah i i, I love the organ um yeah. so subsequently i get called for a lot of that stuff just mostly because of uh, my obsession with it <laughs> and I wind up, I, I've sought out most of the organ players in this city. Right. And, um, and, uh, so it just, it kind of snowballs like anything else. And I get a lot of calls to play that type of music. Right. Almost to the point where I'm like, well, I'd, I'd like to play something different. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause I mean, I, I grew up, you know, a rocker, you know, mm -hmm. who then discovered jazz and, but, um, but I'm not really complaining because I, I still enjoy it, that, that genre more than, more than anything, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's why, uh, it leads me to, I just cut my own record 
Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And it's an organ trio. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, uh, you know, about half the records, um, the funky stuff and the other half is some straight ahead stuff. Yeah. Nice. Who's on yeah. it? Uh, a cat named Kyle Kohler is playing the organ. Okay. He's great. He's one of the best guys in this city. And uh, a guy on guitar named Matt Chertkoff, who's uh, he's everywhere. He's yeah. playing every night everywhere. <laughs> cool. Cool. When is that and coming out? They're up? really great. They have like this whole, they've really got the whole style together. It's, it's totally legit. You nice. Know? When, when is that record coming out? Well, I'm working on it right now. I just cut it and I've been listening to the mixes. Uh, well, I've been listening to the rough mixes and then I have to go back and mix. So right. I'm trying to pick which takes we're going to use. We cut it all in one day, about 11 or 12 tunes. And uh, uh, we got a lot done. And one, by the end, I was just like, you know. <laughs> but the idea was to go in and do it all in one day, like um, like one of those old uh, blue note records, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I recorded it at, uh, a studio called Brooklyn recorders, uh, by a guy named Andy Taub, who, uh, oddly enough actually is where actual blue note today does a lot of their records there. So, Oh, cool. Nice. So, um, yeah, I made sure to pick the right guy in the right studio to to try and get that sound. And mm-hmm. he's very interesting with with what it takes, you know. I mean, it's a very simple process. We were all live in one room. The other guys weren't even wearing cans, you know. Wow. Uh, we had created like a little gobo village, <laughs> <laughs> you know, where the, the, the Leslie was on one side of me and his amp was on the other. Uh, around this little drum booth that was created. And then there were other gobos in a, on an angle in front where I could see the players through gobo windows. So, yeah. so cool. it worked out that they didn't want to wear cans and they could hear everything great. So I, I wound up using it a little bit right, um, right. here and there just because I could get more clarity from the guitar. But I was hearing the I was hearing that Leslie loud and clear. <laughs> you usually do. <laughs> it was like right no. next. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where you but, are. Um, yes. And uh, we took video and stuff. So there's going to be some, you know, everyone needs to hear what their eyes these days. So. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I was, I was at a, uh, a showcase last night for um, Emerald Empire, which is like one of the corporate, you know, wedding outfits uh, in the Atlanta area here. And they recently started doing, they kind of imported this concept from New York, which was uh, the Sound Society Band, which is, uh, you know, same same idea, um, but like a kind of a premium package for people. Um, okay, I, and, I don't really know that. What is the Sound Society? Yeah, it's just a, a, a another corporate outfit. Like, I, I think their, oh, okay. their main hub is in New York. Um, Oh, but really? but their their sort of uh, idea of a premium package and their their look and their basic product is now being uh, kind of imported to Atlanta through okay. Emerald Empire. And I was talking with a friend of mine, and and uh, she was the the wife of a, a bass player friend of mine, and she was like, I don't understand why people would pay more for the quote unquote premium package because the first band sounds great, like the two bands sound great, they're all great players. And I was like, yeah, but the second band has matching suits. <laughs> you know yeah, that's exactly <laughs> these guys have lasers yeah man that's that's worth <laughs> that's worth the extra five g's or whatever it is 
Um, <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, so I was going to ask, with this project, um, you said you you took video. I mean, is 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 this like a new project that you're going to be wanting to shop around and and play more, or is this recording project kind of going to just be in and of itself and and uh, be done with it? Well, I mean, initially, it's it's basically uh, I wanted to put out a record. It was time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if the right label situation came along, I would, I would put it out on, on a label. But as, as of right now, I'm doing it all myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, that's what, that's the way it goes these days, you right. know? Right. Um, and, um, I intend to, uh, you know, do it digitally and get some vinyl. I've been told that maybe CDs aren't worth bothering with but i don't know I, I might put it out on cd yeah i don't i don't know if they are either i yeah it's it's a debate for another podcast maybe yeah um, but vinyl is definitely um is popular again yeah you know? and especially uh, for that for that kind of music i mean that's you know that's its blood type yeah exactly it's blood type that's yeah. great, that's great. <laughs> yeah and so i mean it would be yeah, it, it, the whole package would be ready to be, you know, and that's kind of what record labels like these days. And, mm-hmm. and then they want to see, you know, how many followers you have. And of course. Can we actually uh, get people to download it and stuff? But, I mean, that would all, you know, depend on if, you know, who wants to hear it. But, you know, if they can get more, if, if the label can can get more people to hear it, then I think that's the main point. You know, it's just, um, uh, I'm going to do my best on my own and I, I, I'll, I'll employ some people to, yeah. to work it. Yeah. Be a job and, creator, and then, man. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm usually the guy that's, you know, just for hire. So this Me is too. like my yeah. first endeavor where I'm hiring other people, you know? Right. Right. And, um, and when you said it was time to do this, like un- unpack that a little bit. Like what, uh, what was kind of the, the, the corner you turned in life or in music or in your career where you were like, okay, I have to have a record under my name. I have to have a group under my name. Well, I mean, for a long time I've been, uh, I've been, um, just a session guy for hire, you know, mm-hmm. and just doing gigs and tours and, and, um, uh, I mean, I, I, th- I feel like it's, it's good to have like, uh, just a, a musical statement that's your, under your name, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's in part like promotion, you know? Yeah. It also like, I feel like it, it I want, I'll hear, you know what it is? I wanted to have something that really represented how I like to play. Hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of ways that I like to play and I can be a guy for hire and play the way that they want me to play. And, and I'm okay with that. And I still enjoy doing that. Yeah. But this, when, if you want, if you want to really represent like what your sound is, it's kind of got to be, you got to be the boss. Right. I, I think that's what it is, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there can be like a real uh, depiction of, of what you're all about, 
on your instrument. Right. And I, for a lot of people, I think it takes a long time to actually figure that out. Like, what do I sound like? How do I sound my best? What makes yeah. me feel the best? Um, and so it, did the did the timing of this record have anything to do with, like, the timing of that realization on your part? Or have, have you known that for a while? I've known for a while that I would eventually do my own record. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, you know, it's also, it's very exciting and kind of addictive. I'm already like, all right, I don't want to do another, <laughs> you know, this one isn't even out yet. I right. Before, right. You know, you start listening to it over and over. And now by the time it's out, I'm not going to want to ever hear it again, Sure, sure. <laughs> but, and I'm already, I already want to do like a different one, you know, um, one that's like maybe more funk, you know, mm-hmm. um, instrumental funk maybe with a singer you know more more right. in the vein you know right but this one just came out and there's it's a it's a bit more leaning towards the jazz side of things yeah there's also like a not uh, people really don't know me as a jazz player at all um they know me i think i'm known more as like an r&b soul drummer funk drummer right you know jam bands i've, I've had a lot of i you know i used to have my own band called Deep Banana Blackout. <laughs> a fine jam band name, sir, if I yeah. do say. <laughs> yeah. in, in another life, uh, you know, and we still play. But um, people don't, uh, you know, I, I play a lot of gigs around town playing jazz, and but I'm not really known for that. So I wanted to express myself in that genre as well, you know. So I, I wanted to get back to, to Sharon Jones. Um, yeah. I'm kind of fascinated with, uh, especially when it comes to like iconic singers and iconic front people. Um, what did, what did she need from her drummer and how did she, ex- <laughs> and how did she express that? <laughs> this is a good question. <laughs> um, she needed a variety of things at different moments <laughs> and it could change at any moment. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, working with a singer a lot, you're asked to slow it down or play, play the groove faster within mm-hmm. any part of the song. And as a drummer, it kind of goes against everything we've practiced in our life. Yeah. You know, when you're sitting there at home with a metronome to to just randomly um, accelerate or randomly slow down. Right. Because at one moment, the singer needs it to be somewhere that it's not. And you have to be able to do that. And it took me a long time to be able to do that. I used to fight that, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so it made me realize that – you just have to be really flexible when you're working with a singer, especially that type of situation that it was with the Dap Kings and Sharon Jones. It was, it's like a funk machine. It was like, it wasn't, it, they had songs, but it really wasn't about songs so much as like this whole, just, uh, 
this whole soul experience, you know, right, like right. she was dancing and singing and, and the, it was like this, the audience was, we were all one. It was, it's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with a band like that, with an artist like that, I mean, the, it, you said we had songs, but I, yeah. I, I think what you're getting at is that, you know, the, it, it wasn't a play at top to bottom, you know, every night kind of thing. Like each song was more of a, um, a framework. Um, I mean, really the same way it is in jazz. Yeah, it definitely wasn't about solos. Like it, we, at a certain point, I was like, it's not like jazz because there's no s solos, really. Once in a while, there'd be a trumpet solo or maybe a little guitar thing. But I felt like the solo was when she would dance. <laughs> it was like dancing solos right. that we were backing up. Right, right. You know, it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Man, so, I wish I, I could have seen it live. Yeah. I mean, that is jazz, too, you know, right. like in its purest form. The jazz, jazz was dance music, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so were there, I mean, like, especially when you first joined the group, when you first started playing with her, were there conversations that were had? Or was, was this shit you needed <laughs> to learn on the fly? Was she yelling at you on the bridge or like oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> totally yelling at me. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it was, it was amazing energy to be locked in with her. You had to just watch her every move. And mm. she, there was body language that she would use to get a certain accentuation or, or, or where you were put in the groove. You weren't, she was in control of the groove. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying it wasn't like the drummer was in control of the groove or the band. It was like, she was like the, the 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 head of this giant dragon you right. know and, and everybody was watching her and the way that she would move yeah and that's where the funk was coming from man you know so it was like the way the whole band was set up was just like gathered around her and she's gonna do her thing and we're gonna like back her up totally right 100 like percent. We're, we're gonna be the musical manifestation of of her visual presence up there yeah yeah it was like we we were embodying like what she was, you know, putting out there. Man, know? that's some cosmic shit. That's great. <laughs> it, it, I mean, now that we're talking about it, I mean, it's like it was it was it's some amazing stuff. Yeah. I just found a uh, there was a video uh, every once in a while. I searched to see if and a, and a, a, a great one just came up from this uh, show we did in uh, San Sebastian, Spain. And. uh it was at this huge festival on the beach and it's, I'm so glad that they caught this cause this really, really embodies what the whole band was about. It's such a great performance. And, um, it's like a whole like five camera shoot and yeah, yeah I, I just put it up on my Facebook page and it's up there. So it's, it's cool. If send it, I'm, send I'm it to me it. and I'll, I'll, yeah, we, yeah. we can include it on uh, like the, the episode page for this, yeah, for, yeah. for this episode. If I don't yeah. space it out. It's one of the best, <laughs> it's one of the best ones I've seen. And, uh, they just put it up. I mean, it's from like, I don't know, five, six years ago. Yeah. But someone finds it on their card drive and says, Oh, we should put this up. <laughs> right. Right. That's so great, man. Um,
The other uh, artist I wanted to ask you about was uh, Schofield because yeah. he's one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. Just you know, probably my favorite jazz guitarist and and one of my favorite guitarists and musicians in general. Um, and I'm I'm most familiar with uh, you know the stuff he did with Bill Stewart on drums because Bill oh, Stewart yeah. is a hero of mine. Um, but I, I guess I kind of have the same the same question about about uh, John Schofield is like what you know what did he need from you and how did he express it and how did you deliver and and what was that experience like? Well, Sco was different uh, in that he just wanted me to do my thing. Mm. You know, yeah, he wanted he wanted funky grooves. <laughs> that's it <laughs> yeah and he's and, like just give me that funk right and you played on the record bump right yeah. yeah and did you tour with him also yes yeah i got to tour with him as well well it reminds me about um you know people talk about uh film directors and you know s- some film directors like if you listen to actors talk they're, they're like some people some directors are very hands-on and they want to be up in every right. shot and tell you how to move and how to you know, deliver this line and blah, blah, blah. And other directors are just like, I want you to be you. I hired you for a reason. Yeah. I'm not going to micromanage you. Just do it. Just. Yep. (laughs) And that's, that's exactly, that's what Sko was like. There was no micromanaging. I mean, if you played something that he was like not into, he'd be like, don't do that. (laughs) I think one time he said, uh, don't play that Billy Cobham shit. (laughs) I said, I can't play any Billy Cobham. I guess I played some Phil that, you know, was just crazy at one right. point. But he was, I, I'm sure he was right because, you know, you can't like, a lot of drummers today, they're, they're doing this stuff where they're fitting, trying to fit every note into a small space. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you, you know, it just doesn't sound good. Yeah. I mean. If you're doing it and you can tell that they're doing it just to just to get everybody to go, wow. And um, I don't know. It's it's like it's not you're not playing for the music. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I just interviewed a, a drummer in Atlanta named uh, Gerard Sullivan, um, who is, uh, you know, has has all the speed and chops in the world. Um, mm-hmm. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to him is because he he is able to like I mean, he dude plays a lot of notes. <laughs> there's a lot of notes but he has he has a sensitivity and a shape to his phrasing that a lot of drummers from from that school don't have um, right so i mean to, cool. to your point it's not it's not impossible to make that stuff feel good but, but i agree the number of notes is definitely working against you unless you're super judicious about how you shape it and how you phrase it you know i agree i agree yeah um Yes, it's not just throwing a bunch of stuff out there. There's some if it's well thought out and it grooves. I've always thought that actually fills and solos can 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 groove still. Absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah. I've been trying to figure out, you know, for a long time how to make the fills groove as hard as the groove. And exactly, and... I agree. I, I used to think that too, and and I still do. Yeah. The fill is has to groove as as much. Right, right. And usually, when I regret playing a fill, it's not because I, you know, hit a rim or or screwed up the coordination or something. It's because like the feel changed for a beat and a half. <laughs> you know. 
What, it, you're saying you screwed up the fill? Like I executed the fill like technically, right. you know, technically yeah. proficiently, but because I wasn't able to, you know, execute the same feel on the fill as as the groove, right? it jumped out to my ear and was like, ah, shouldn't have done that fill. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. Know. You know, like when you're in the studio and then you listen back and you're like, you do, you, you, you know, you play through one time, like this record that I just did, my, my own record, we basically did like two takes of every tune. Some of them we did three, but we, we do the first take and we go listen and you'd immediately know like what not to do mm-hmm. and what to do more of. Right. You'd hear it. And so, oh, okay, I'm not going to play that thing that just mucked everything up and got in the way, you know? Yeah. And then you, you can quickly get like an idea of what it's supposed to be. You know? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about in terms of session work. Like, you know, as drummers, as musicians, every musician is told, like, if you're going to do session work, you've got to be able to knock it out in one take. Time is money, uh, you know, uh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But in your experience, I mean, have I, I think my, my point is I think more often than not, we actually are given the freedom uh, to, you know, have multiple takes and, and shape what we want to do on a song or in a section. Um, have, have you found that in your, in your recording career? Well, I mean, I found that I've never, I've never been in a situation where, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't say that actually, because all right, start over. (laughs) (laughs) Take two. Here it is. Here's the answer. (laughs) I don't feel pressed for time when I'm working with other artists, it's usually a relaxed atmosphere. Um, I did, however, I was, I was pressuring myself on the record that I just did, uh, to get, to get, we had a lot of material to get through in one day. Right. And, um, and so I was that philosophy. I was actually applying to my own record and I was the boss and I was like, in my mind. Right. Because the time is your money. Time is money. Time is my money. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm definitely conscious of that um, in the studio. And that is definitely the overall thing. You know, you got to you got to get in there. And uh, I mean, at this point, you know, there's how many takes are you going to do? I mean, you, you do the first one and you get your bearings. If you if you if you've had pre-production at all on it and you've become familiar with the material. Yeah. Then you're already like halfway there by the second take you know if everybody's a great musician which they usually are in new york city Mm -hmm. spoiled (laughs) (laughs) um it it comes together and then the third take you're kind of like the arc is dipping and it's like not as good so it's usually if you're lucky it's take one if you're not lucky it's take two by take Mm. three it's like uh okay let's go (laughs) to the next one you know right come back to it tomorrow (laughs) Because, but I've, you know, early on, I've been in sessions where guys do like a million takes, you know, and I'll, I'll sit there all day and do a take, but, you know, and sometimes it can, you can, every time you play through a piece of music, more things come out at you Mm -hmm. could be doing. Right. But that's, that's the whole nature of music. It's endless. There's so many variations. Yeah. You know, so you have to like get an idea of what you want and be happy with it, you know? Right, right. Um, I mean, Steely Dan, 
I heard they were, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I heard they would just like do like 5,000 takes of something. <laughs> right. With, with 2000 different drummers. <laughs> yeah. But that's because they're obsessive. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 It, it, the answer to the question is it goes, it's, it depends on the person you're working with and what their attitude is towards the music. Right. You know? Right. But overall, you should be able to nail it yeah. as quick yeah. as possible. Yeah, as and it's, it's, I, I would imagine I would, that's uh, I, I imagine Schofield working that way. Like, you know, the the first the first take or the second take is kind of where the real shit is, and if it's if it has to go beyond that, then let's not mess with it right now. Yeah, it was like that when we did those sessions. Yeah, Sco, um, it came together really quick but we had pre-production we had rehearsed at his house so it's always good to do that right as opposed to just you know showing up at a studio and somebody throws a chart on a stand and that's when it's like that's high pressure right i don't feel like that happened that doesn't happen to me too much Mm -hmm. where get called to just show like like those you know sessions of old in the studio yeah yeah. heyday of the 70s or whatever where yeah. the guys would do like three sessions a day or whatever right right and they just go to one studio to the next and i mean that that would be amazing if it was like that now <laughs> right yeah man it's it's over it's over and i think that you know that that high pressure environment um you know definitely did exist and i think still exists in some circles and and for some uh for some it definitely yeah definitely does but i think you i mean you talked about putting pressure on yourself um yeah you know i i think too often um we put that kind of pressure on ourselves um when in reality it's like you said it's a more relaxed environment you know just because we're under the mics doesn't mean we have to go into this fight or flight uh you know time is money if i screw up i'm fired um right mentality yeah, you don't have to have that in the back of your mind. The guy, I think the guy that has to have it, or g- girl, that has to have it in the back of their mind is uh, um, is the leader. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, because if, if, the, if the leader is putting out a relaxed vibe about something, you have to go by what they're what they're directing you know Mm -hmm. everybody else is just relaxed and if you want to do another take we'll do another take you know yeah yeah if we're satisfied and this in this day and age of uh digital technology too it's like i'll play a take and i'll think oh that wasn't really the one and they'll be like okay we're good and it's like (laughs) okay i know what you're gonna do yeah (laughs) (laughs) yep you know they get enough um they get enough information out of you that they can, uh, right. They got the content perform their dark magic. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, and that's, that's definitely true. But when, when you kind of started that sentence where I, where I thought you were going to go was a lot of times you'll be like, Oh, that, that wasn't good. And then they'll be like, that was, that was great. That was the one that was the take. Well, yeah, it could be like, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, that is one, the one, but in my mind, I'm like, you're going to edit that. They do a lot of editing. You know, I was doing some sessions in Nashville. Um, I was working with this artist, Laura Reed, and uh, it's this great EP that she's got coming out. It's really rocking. And uh, 
I'm really excited about the music that she's putting out. And uh, we had uh, um, a guy named Dave Schools producing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a bass player for the band Widespread Panic. Oh, cool. And um, I mean, we did a lot of takes and we were all live in the room. And then I heard the stuff when it came back and it sounds amazing. And I'm like, did I really play it that way? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with it when I leave the studio. Right, right. You know, mm-hmm. so they could have something and it sounds great. And the, the, the magic that they can do with Pro Tools now is amazing. It's seamless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and with, you know, uh, sound replacement and it's like, you know, I've, yeah. I've, I've had the same experience where I listened to the final product of something and I was like, that's not what I sounded like in that room. Exactly. <laughs> You're like, is that even me? Right. That sounds too good to be me. <laughs> and, and this goes back to like the other thing about me doing my own record. It's like, there's like really not going to be any overdubs or any much editing at all really that we might clean up some like little stray things here and there but Mm -hmm. what you're hearing on the record is going to be me playing like there's no like editing of my drumming right right you know i had the same experience recently the the reason that you came on my radar was that you uh jumped in for a minute with the delvon lamar organ trio right right and at the at the time i was like they they were holding kind of like an open call audition um Uh and uh like accepting video auditions um, right and so i i put one together for them um and i i thought the same thing like it wasn't in the sense of like making a record under my name but i was like this has to be an honest representation of how i sound and how it feels to be in the room with me, not in a warts and all sense, but just yeah. in terms of like, I am not going to misrepresent myself in, in any way here. Um, and I, uh, I, I was really happy with the, the tape that I put out in that sense. I listened to it and I watched it and I was like, yes, this is how I sound. That's how I look. I'm proud to put this forward. Um, right. and didn't end up getting the gig, but, uh, it, it, it felt really good to just send that to him and say, this is me. Right. And, and then you can, if you feel confident about that, then you can use that as, as a promotional tool for yourself. Right. Right. You know, because then you're really, um, you're expressing yourself and being genuine, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's what, that's the word, the genuine, you know, like, yes, this is a, this is a real, uh, genuine, uh, statement, artistic statement. Right. Right. Um, and I think being being genuine is more important than ever because I think people are less genuine than ever, uh, not necessarily through a fault yeah. of their own, but just um, it's a very <laughs> it's a very image conscious uh, uh, society we live in. And yeah, and with the technology, you can be anyone or anything you want now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like the people, the people that I respect most and, and, um, the people who I want to respect me are genuine in every sense. They, they play genuinely. They interact with you genuinely in, in, in conversation and hanging. Like it's, it's just, this is who I am. I'm okay with it. Uh, Uh (laughs) I think the, the more, the more we can do that as players and as people, the, the, the better off we are. Absolutely. 
This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. You mentioned that it was kind of after college, after Berkeley, um, that you started getting inspired by um, all the, the R&B drumming and the, you know, what, what your career became. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, where are you from? Are you from New York? Yeah, I'm originally from Long Island. Oh, cool. Okay, my dad grew up in Oyster Bay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is his name Billy Joel? <laughs> No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Um, yeah. It's funny. He he uh, has like the last couple girlfriends he's had have, have also been from Long Island. He lives in North Carolina, but he's on like, uh, you know, the dating apps or whatever. And he, he's he's only dating women from Long Island now because he's like, there's a bunch really? that you just don't understand if you're not from Long Island. And I don't know. <laughs> Anyway. Well, do they have malls down there? Do they what? Do they have malls down there? <laughs> a couple, <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, so, like, you're, you know, you're getting ready to go to Berkeley or at the, during the time you're at Berkeley. Did you have specific goals? Did you, did you think that I'm going to get out of here and go straight back to New York? Um, did you have uh, different musical goals than, than you ended up uh, getting inspired by? Well, I think that my original, uh, my original uh, goal and idea was to be a session drummer, was mm-hmm. to be a studio drummer. And um, it, uh, I, you know, I'd always been doing sessions, um, but just not exclusively. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was at Berkeley, I went back to uh, Long Island after I left Berkeley and, uh, just started, uh, seeking work. I mean, the main objective was to be a working drummer, right? Wait a second. Isn't that the name of this whole podcast? Yeah. And you get five bucks every time you say it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah, to, to just be a working drummer. So, um, that's 10. That's, that's what I did. That's what I did. You know, <laughs> just any kind of work, uh, like, uh, weddings sessions. Yeah gigs right teaching yep but i just kind of fell into more of a. well i mean i started a band is what happened after mm-hmm. uh in uh uh 95 mm-hmm. i started uh the deep banana blackout band and we had a nice run where we toured all over the country and uh went on tour with the allman brothers band and uh put out like three or four records mm-hmm. and um that kind of ran its course and uh we you know we were a funk rock band still based in long island that band is from connecticut okay and um so we still play a couple times a year we actually just did a show a thanksgiving show in connecticut um so that took that wound up taking up the whole uh, a big chunk of time and all the focus was put into that band Mm -hmm. and we were very successful. And, uh, but, um, at a certain point, you know, I, I felt like I wasn't getting, uh, 
to play with other people and to play other styles of music because it was just locked into this one box. Right. You know, so since I left that band, um, I was able to be a freelance musician and enjoy just being in different bands and different situations, mm-hmm. uh, different sessions. And, uh, it's very enjoyable. You get to meet a lot of different people and it's, it's really cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Never a dull moment for sure. Tra- travel everywhere and, uh, have great experiences. So with your, with your jazz, uh, background and, and your love for jazz, um, was there ever a point in your early career when you felt the need to, uh, like really test your metal on the, on the New York jazz scene? <laughs> I, you know, my thing with jazz has been like, I, 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 I've never really wanted to pursue like it as a career. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys that, um, that are career jazz musicians. Right. And that's, that's all they play. Like you mentioned, like Bill Stewart is a jazz drummer right. and that's his career. And let me tell you, he's one of the best. Yeah. And it's because he focuses on that one style and he has so much style yeah. and swing and creativity Yeah, and touch. I mean, he's everything. You know? uh-huh. He's amazing. So I think that when it comes to something like jazz, you really have to put that work in. And mm-hmm. there's so many guys out there on all instruments and girls yeah. <laughs> um, uh, putting in the work every day. Like there's a lot of practice, right. you know, and it's really tough out there and it's very competitive. So, I mean, I never really, I like a lot of different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. So I, when it comes to jazz, I've, I've always been like, well, I enjoy playing it and I like being creative, so, you know, I do it mostly for my head, you know? Yeah. And uh, so this, going back to this record, it's part of, like, me um, just expressing myself through, you know, it's a great way to, ex- it's, there's so much expression in jazz, Yeah. you know, especially as an instrumentalist. I mean, you, you can't top it, you right, know? Right, right. I think a, a lot of drummers struggle with that, um, and it's something I've struggled with over the years because I spent my twenties basically just playing jazz in Kansas City, um, and mm-hmm. there was there was a time when I thought uh, uh, that that's what I wanted to do. Like maybe you know I would I would end up in New York and and make a run at it, um, yeah. but I, I ended up much more in your camp, which is like I I love it, I love playing it, I, yeah. I you know I'm I'm not gonna sound like. I'm never going to be Tony Williams. I'm never, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not going to reach that level um, that our that our jazz heroes reached, in you know, in terms of notoriety or playing. But that doesn't right. mean that doesn't mean that that it can't be part of my life, part of my career, part of how I sound. Um, right, and you can you can still play it and express yourself and uh, play with great players. I mean, you know that's a beautiful thing about living in New York is like these players are all around and I, I actually get to play with them just on little gigs, right? you know, here and there around the city, uh, you know, not necessarily at Lincoln center, mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know, they're, they're all around and, and you're playing with them and, and you're learning from them. Right. Yeah. You know? Cause every time you play with someone that's amazing, you just learn so much. You know? Yeah. 
So it's 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 one of the great things about living in New York City. It's why I always wanted to move here. Um, it, the main reason it's why we put up with all this uh, bullshit. <laughs> um, you know, uh, because all the artists here, all the greatest musicians and artists are, are living here. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, yeah, and it, uh, it's you know, twas twas ever thus for the last century. I mean, it's just not, not just a musical hub, but it's like an artistic capital of the world. It is a creative universe unto itself. Yeah. Um, And all of those different disciplines, you know, just rub off on each other. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, when it comes to like, you know, there's, there's art and creativity and also there's business. So it's like, we're as musicians and, uh, you know, trying to be a working drummer. <laughs> uh, Are you up to 15 now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is getting You're expensive. To, we're always trying to um, uh, marry the two, you know? Yeah. Uh, where you're like, well, you know, I, I got I to gotta do some gigs and get some bread, you know? Right. But then I also want to express myself um, artistically and creatively. And sometimes – those two things are not even in the same room. Right. You know, and you have to flip your mind around. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, my father and my brother, they're electricians. <laughs> and uh, they're in the union. And yeah. it's like, they, they're not going to show up and do a, an electrical job just to express themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, pay me right. to do the job, you right. know, right. so I can pay my mortgage you know but and they don't they don't judge they don't judge the client they're doing an electrical job for they're not like oh do i want to attach myself to this you know yeah a friend of mine named danny Embry, who is a great guitarist in kansas city uh i was i was commiserating with him about a, a gig that neither one of us particularly liked um, uh-huh. but he was, he was quite a bit older than me and, and he was like, this is the job, man. Like if you install air conditioners for a living, you can't tell someone I'm not going to install an air conditioner in your house. Cause your house sucks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, it's, it's such a weird thing. Only musicians can understand it, but there's, there's all different types of uh, we're, we're in this, um, pool of all different types of, uh, people from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. doing this thing called music, you know, which is essentially an art form. Mm -hmm. And then we're trying to make commerce out of it because we want to make a living doing it and it's possible to do it. And, uh, it can get weird and conflicting. Um, you know, and I know I've, there's been plenty of times where I've been on a gig and I've been like, I am gonna, I cannot, you know, <laughs> it just makes you feel so bad and yeah. you go home. So it's, you know, and you're like, why am I, why, why? I might as well be a used car salesman after that gig I just did. You yeah. Know? And sometimes you're just doing the gig for money. And so it's a balance, you know, where you can't, there, there are more important things than money. You can't just do it for money. Right. But it's, you have to strike this balance where you feel like you're getting paid uh, fairly, and you're also like having a good time and you're playing good music mm-hmm. and, and you're expressing yourself. So, you know, going back to like Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, that was like kind of a perfect storm. Right. right. <laughs> you know, and uh, if you can get that perfect storm, then you're, you're totally successful. Right. 
if if only for a little while. <laughs> if only for a little while, and then you know you got to go do a wedding gig. Yeah, yeah, make five hundred bucks or whatever, you know, and right. and then you go play some jazz and you feel better. Right. right. So as dollar. established as established <laughs> as you are. Sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> you make twelve dollars. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So as established as you are in your, uh, you know, particular lane, um, is, is that a balance that you still have to strike between, you know, the gigs that are fun, that feed your soul, that you get to express yourself and there are other gigs where you just got to go make 500 bucks? Um, sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, I'd like to just... You know, every once in a while, I'm like, I'm not going to do that gig and, you know, and get all huffy puffy. Right. And then I just turn around and go, whatever, you know. Yeah. You just, if you're, if you're a working drummer. <laughs> this is getting ridiculous, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm trying to make some money off of it. <laughs> but no, it's seriously, I mean, that's what it's about. You know, you gotta, you gotta do some stuff. You gotta, you've got to be true to you. And so it, it's, you don't know what a situation is until you do it. So right. if someone calls you for a gig and it's at this place and it's this person and they're not a person, they're like a new client that, you, that you've never worked with before and you don't know what they're about or, or what, uh, what this club is about or what this music is even. And, and you take the job well, that's your learning experience. You know, you're going to find out what this person's like. You're going to find out what the whole situation is. And then after that, you decide, uh, I don't know, am I going to keep doing this or am I not? You know, it's, and then you form relationships. So then you have all these different people that start calling you on a regular basis and you, 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 you connect with all your like-minded people. Right. And then you form like a, it forms like this network. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I call networking, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Well, that, you, you start to take only the gigs that, that suit you, mm -hmm. that work for you personally. Right. And there's, there's more than, um, there's more than one way to define that. Right. Because we're talking about, we started out talking about, you know, creative expressive gigs versus commercial, you know, money-making gigs. Um, but there's a way to like cultivate your network and your community for the money making gigs where like, for example, I'm, I'm part of the Emerald empire thing in Atlanta uh -huh. and sounds it, good. It is. It's great. Every, <laughs> come on down, man. There's work. There's work. But like, you know, it's, it's totally, it's totally corporate. It's totally top 40. It is not creative uh -huh. or expressive. But everybody yeah. in it is a friend of mine. Everybody in it is a great musician. Everybody shows up and does the homework. So, you know, the yeah. talking about, you know, what suits you personally, um, you know, working with great musicians who are my friends suits me no matter what we're playing. Um, right. And the other thing is no matter what kind of gig you're doing, no matter what kind of music you're playing, part of what makes it fun is that it's good. <laughs> right. So yeah. if you're, if you're involved in a purportedly expressive creative endeavor, but it's just not good, you know, if it's right. not a good product, that's, that's oh, not yeah. going to be any fun. Yeah. Um, that happens. Too. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely. <laughs> you does. know, 
I mean, what, yeah, what makes a good gig? It's up to like what that person is looking for. Are you looking to just, uh, I mean, I've had great times just playing top 40 and everybody's dancing and it's a party and you get paid great and you eat and drink, you know, that's a great gig. Yeah. You know, and then I've had other gigs where it's more like, um, expressive and you can create exactly the way, you know, I, I toured with Charlie Hunter for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Did a record with him and, you know, every night it was just, we were just playing exactly how we felt. He was one of those, he's one of those guys that, uh, says, I got you here because of the way you play. Right. You know? And that was another experience that was satisfying. So there's a lot of different types of experiences that you can have that can be satisfying. And you have to just keep focusing on those and, uh, you know, be able to discern when you're, you know, when you're not in those situations and try not to do them because that's what's that what that's what makes a livelihood. Right. And you got to stay lively. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Try it. I'm trying, you man. You know, don't. And, you know, sometimes it can get tough. You're like, um, shit, man, I need bread. I need money, man. You know, so it's like. Right. Did you, everybody lose my number? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to just stay focused and centered and, and just, uh, you know, meditate. Yeah. Do, do you meditate? I was going to ask. How do you stay focused and centered? Yeah. I mean, yeah, some meditation, yoga, but I'm not like a master no it's hard yeah. to find time it's hard to find time but uh yeah i mean a lot of, you have to really get in the zone to like um conjure up what you what you really want you have to really think about what you really want hmm. as opposed to you know there's like you're saying there's all these as drummers we learn and you grow up with this uh ideal idealization of, uh, what we're supposed to be like, I mean, for me, it's like, uh, you know, when I was growing up, you're supposed to be Steve Gadd, right? You know, you're supposed to be Steve Gadd, (laughs) you know, I'm not Steve Gadd. I love Steve Gadd. And that's, that's an, but that's like the high bar, you know, Mm -hmm. he's, he's done everything, you know, he does like all the sessions he does all the creative stuff he does the massive tours you know and so that's something to aspire to Mm -hmm. and and i think that personally i still have that ideal in mind right of that way of being a professional drummer you know and that's a great thing but it's like do i don't really want you don't really want to sound like steve gad you know because he's steve gad you know right Right. You want to sound like you and express yourself the way you want within these, within these, uh, frameworks that have been established. Right. And I mean, one of the reasons that he's Steve Gadd is, is how genuine he is as a player. Right. And that's why, that's why James Taylor and Paul Simon want him. And it's the same reason that Schofield wanted you. And it's the same reason that Ruby Vell wants me. Like if you can, if you can keep that, that genuineness, if that's a word, uh, in mind, um, genuosity, (laughs) that's better. I like that one better. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, that's, what's gonna, um, 
land you in in more gigs that, like you said, are suited to you in yeah. all the ways we talked about. Yeah, every time you uh, you know, there's this thing like your comfort zone, like, and you're comfortable playing the way you play mm-hmm. because it makes you feel good vibrationally. You know, drums and music is all built on vibrations. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like if you're vibing with with the music and and all the people around you, then you're feeling good. Right. But every once in a while, and I've done this you purposefully step outside your comfort zone, you know, mm-hmm. and you find out what's really not for you. Like I'm not going to be a heavy metal drummer, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to play like double bass blast beats, right? you know? And I see some of these guys and it's freaking amazing. Yeah. But, um, it doesn't feel right for me to do that. Mm hmm. You know, there's a lot of ways of playing that just don't feel right. But at the same time, you know, something that's instilled in me is like, you should be able to do that. You should be able to play everything as a, as a, as a drummer, you know, you're one of these days, you're going to get the heavy metal call, man. Yeah. I don't don't think it's going to happen, but (laughs) it's interesting stuff to check out, but you know, you got to go with, with what resonates with your soul, you know? Yeah. And soul music and uh, stuff that's built off of groove and, uh, you know, soul music, soul music, not as like a genre, as a marketing point. Right. Music that has soul, Mm -hmm. you know, and essentially all music has soul. It's just does it resonate with your soul? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's like stuff like like James Taylor you mentioned he's got soul right right you know but it's different from the kind of soul that like Marvin Gaye has you yeah, know? yeah yeah so it's but it's coming it's, from the same genuine place in both of exactly. them exactly we keep going back to that yeah, word yeah. it's genuine you know yeah and there's a lot of artists out there that are not genuine that are just trying to do something to like latch on to what's popular or using music as uh, a way to get famous. Right. And that's right. disgenuine. Yeah. Yeah. And I fame think just is as often. Goal. Sorry, go ahead. What? I don't think that fame should be the goal. I think fame is like a byproduct of being genuine and. Yes. I agree. And honest and true to your art. Right. And I think often you're you're right. There there is like a cynical ploy on the part of musicians to try and and you know market themselves in such a way or whatever. Um but I think just as often it's you know people aren't genuine because they don't really know who they are yet. You know, they're trying different things on. That that's true. And a lot of it isn't fitting. <laughs> you're right. And I think right. it's true. It's true for you know famous front people or for uh, you know ground level sidemen. Um, yeah. You know, if you don't have a strong sense of, like you said, what resonates with your soul, you right. might not come off as genuine. And that's not because you're intentionally being cynically fake. It's just because you don't. You're not in touch with that yet. That's very insightful. I, I agree. Thanks. Hey man, you're a good dude. <laughs> you too, buddy. <laughs> well, man, it was uh, it was great. It was great talking with you. Thanks for giving us a little a little window into your into your world there. Um, and cool. uh, I'm going to be following you more more closely because uh, the you know talk about resonating with with your soul. I think the the kind of drummer that you are and the kind of work that you're doing is is uh, inspiring to me. 
and uh, just feels good, man. Well, thank you, Zach. I appreciate you reaching out and having me on the show. Absolutely. And uh, man, best wishes to you. I hope we can uh, hook up. I'll let you know when I'm in the, in Atlanta. Yeah, and I will let you know if, if I'm in New York. Um, Definitely. Let's should, hang. Yes. The drum hang. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have a <laughs> we'll have a mirror image battle since you're a, a southpaw. <laughs> well, and that is the name of my upcoming record. Oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Cool. I love that. I love that term, southpaw. I don't. I, yeah, it's just such yeah. an old school. Like. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great, actually man. that's you hit the nail on the head. That's what I'm calling it. Beautiful. I like it. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking, man. It was great. Thank you, Zach. Happy holidays, buddy. You too. Have a good one. All right. Take care. Thanks again to Eric. Hope you dug that and be on the lookout for Southpaw, his debut record as a leader. As you heard at the top of the episode, Matt and I will be doing a talk at Lane Music as part of its Drum Day event. That's January 25th, Saturday at 1 p.m. We're excited to be a part of it alongside Jared Pope, Ben Hans, and Jeff Brown, so hope to see you there. You can get in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram or through our homepage at workingdrummer.net. On that homepage, you'll also see links for Patreon and PayPal, and we hope you'll see fit to support us in that way. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Matt Starr, who has been touring with Ace Freely, among many others. Hope you check that out, and thanks as always for listening. Cheers. Cheers.